This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. The focus of this week's episode is going to be on leveraging artificial intelligence at the edge. How can we run machine learning closer to the edge, and what are the use cases that get enabled in doing so? And this is a topic that has been of interest for me in our work in heavy industries, such as mining and transportation and uh, manufacturing, uh, but also in retail. One of our largest market research projects last year, as many of you are aware, emerged. You, you could think about us like a boutique forester or gardener. We focus on the ROI of AI, helping companies pick high ROI projects and refine their AI strategy. That's most of our work here at Emerge, and that's most of my advisory work uh, with enterprise innovation leaders. Um, one of our bigger clients from last year was a retailer focusing on what their largest competitors, in this case, the Walmarts and the Targets of the world, were doing with computer vision in store. And I would have never guessed at the outset of this project, but maybe a third of the written pages from this report had to do with the considerations of leveraging AI at the edge, the particular issues with hardware and software, the particular issues even of battery time and battery life and what these applications actually looked like. There's a lot to think about when we're putting AI uh, out at the edge in different environments. Again, in heavy industry, this was patently obvious for me, but in computer vision and retail, it also became patently obvious. And we talk about a little bit of all of those things in this particular interview. So this was a fun one for me because it touched on uh, where a lot of last year's focus was with one of our larger clients here at Emerge. Our guest this week is Roland Nussender, who is the CEO and co-founder of Plumerai. Plumerai focuses on leveraging tiny ML at the edge with existing hardware. So not coming up with new AI hardware, but running AI on existing chips. Roland talks to us about what new kinds of use cases can be enabled with that existing hardware and also what it takes to take a machine learning model that might often be run up in the cloud somewhere on GPUs and translate that down and deliver some value, whether it's you know detecting if a person is in the screen or detecting if a product is on the shelf and doing that kind of processing on a much older off-the-shelf bit of hardware. As it turns out, that's its own technical problem. We talk more about the use cases than we do the technical considerations, but we do cover the technical at sort of a conceptual level for those of you who need to think about what might it take to get some of these use cases actually done within your business. Um, Roland is one of many presenters at the AI Hardware Summit put on by Kasako Research. The summit is taking place from September 29th through October 7th. It's entirely virtual. We partnered with Kasako Research last year to promote this event when it was out in California. And now obviously due to COVID, the entire event is virtual September 29th through October 7th. If you want to learn more about the AI Hardware Summit uh, and Kasako Research, who's the sponsor of this episode, you can simply go to Google and type in AI Hardware Summit. and You can learn more about their event and grab yourself a ticket if you're interested in these kinds of themes. Without further ado, though, we're going to roll into this Tuesday AI use case episode. This is with Roland of Plumerai here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Roland, glad to have you on the program. I know we're going to be talking about AI at the edge, and I think in order to have that conversation, based on where your firm is focused, we should talk about microcontrollers and uh, tiny ML. Uh, this is, for, for you folks, a really, really big opportunity for AI at the edge. Can you maybe tee up what we're talking about today? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you very much for having me. Of course. So, tiny ML is machine learning, or AI, on really cheap, low-power hardware and then usually on microcontrollers. So microcontrollers are very cheap, low-power chips, and they're literally everywhere. There are hundreds of billions of microcontrollers in the world, so that's also why they can become so, so cheap. But it's very challenging to deploy machine learning or to run machine learning on microcontrollers. 
and and that's what we're solving. But maybe it's good of a first talk a little bit about why it's so important to run machine learning on microcontrollers. So one way to do this, I mean, naively thought, you could think that you can just send the data back to the cloud and do the processing there on very heavy and expensive GPUs. But this is often not a very good idea. First of all, there are bandwidth limitations. So if you have a camera that's connected to the Wi-Fi network and then you send up the whole camera feed to the cloud, if you have multiple cameras connected to the same Wi-Fi network that just doesn't work, your, your Wi-Fi is down immediately. Then there are things like latency. Uh, it takes quite a lot of time to send it to the cloud to the processing there and send it back. There are reliability issues. For example, if the Wi-Fi network is down or the internet is down, you still want to make sure that your product actually works. There are privacy issues. You don't want to send video data or audio data to the clouds. And then there's energy consumption. That's also actually a big issue because sending data to the cloud, or even if you use Wi-Fi, consumes a lot of energy. And that's not good, uh, especially not if you have a battery-powered device. So TinyML solves this by running the machine learning workload, by running the AI workload on the device itself, on a very cheap, low-power chip. But the thing is, it's very difficult to run machine learning on a chip. And that's what our company is focused on. Got it. When you say a chip, in this case, you're, you're talking about microcontrollers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. Um, maybe, so, you know, you've walked through a couple of the instances, and, and I'm tertiarily familiar with, you know, ML at the edge as, as sort of an idea in the intersection of, of IoT and ML. You focus on this uh, space pretty ardently, though. Maybe we could talk about, you know, some of the cases where piping data to the cloud makes sense and some of the cases where it doesn't. You brought up security, you brought up bandwidth. There's a lot of these practical concerns. Can we tie this to, you know, potential business cases? Hey, Dan, here's an example where it completely makes sense. We, we got to send this stuff up. It might be at the edge, but we got to send it to the cloud. And here's an example where we really should not be doing that. Um, do, you, do you have any we could talk about? The main thing here is that you want to have devices that are battery powered. That's an important issue because it makes it much cheaper, much easier to install devices. So for example, if you have a small camera in a grocery shop to detect if a shelf is empty or not, you want to make the device battery powered uh, together with a small, and you can do that if the machine learning workload is running on a microcontroller and it just sends a small signal to the cloud if the shelf is empty or if the, if the shelf is not empty. And you always want to do tasks on the edge if that's possible. The only reason why I would not want to do it on the edge is if you need so if the AI model is so complex that it requires a lot of energy to run and it requires very expensive, large chips called GPUs. So that's when you want to do it in the cloud. Okay. So for example, for very complex NLP models, uh, for very complex NLP tasks, you, you might want to do it in the cloud. But if it is possible, if you can run it locally, you generally want to do that because of bandwidth issues, because of latency issues, because of reliability issues, because of privacy issues. So a good example of a task that you want to run locally is, for example, an HVAC system where, so in a heating or air conditioning system, where you have a small camera which detects if there's human in the room. And then if there is a human in the room, the heating or air conditioning system will automatically, automatically turn on or turn off. You don't want to send that whole video feed to the cloud. It's, it's not great for your, for your bandwidth of your Wi-Fi network. Another great example and where we actually see a lot of opportunities is in retail. So you're starting to see devices that are battery powered, that have a small camera, and that have a small microcontroller. And it runs an AI model, a deep learning model, 
to detect if the shelf is empty or not. Got it, yep. And if the shelf is empty, then it sends a signal to the store manager that someone needs to fill up the, the shelf again. Yeah, yeah. Or for example, a small camera that detects how many people are waiting in a queue. And that allows stores man- store managers to more effectively allocate their, their staff, tasks like that. Or you can do gaze detection of a shopper and detect uh, what kind of products shoppers are generally interested in so that uh, the shop owner can do better product placements, huh. those kind of tasks. Okay. Okay. But if you're running this on larger chips that are more energy consuming, you have to connect them to the electricity net somehow. That makes it much more expensive to install. It's much more painful for the store owner. So if you can make this battery powered, you can just clip it on a shelf or you can just glue it to the ceiling, for example, which really, like if you can make these devices battery powered, you have these kind of devices everywhere. Got it. Okay. So that that, that makes sense. I, I see the battery power as kind of a key threshold. It's, it's one of the factors here that you're talking about as when, when might it be better to do it uh, do the processing on the edge as opposed to in the cloud. In the retail example, just to be clear, and, and I might be on the right page, I might not, it seems like if we definitely want to know these aisles, whether they're stocked or not, and these aisles where the gaze of the customer is, it may make sense to just straight up install those cameras permanently, and, and then they would have a, a power source. But I think what you're getting at is that well, that's a very painful adoption process for AI, and that would take a long time, and it's more expensive. Also, maybe if aisles are moved, or if we want to take different a set of different angles, you know, we want to try the camera angle from a different spot and see if we have a better read on inventory or better read on customers, you exactly. know, gazes or whatever. Then it's very pliable, it's very movable, and we don't have to start running, you know, extension cords all over the place. We can just be doing ML without the need for that. Exactly. Cool. And for an Amazon Go type of store, which is has cameras everywhere and which is completely built up for this it's not a thing but for a much smaller shop which doesn't have the resources to install these devices then it's much better if you can just clip it on a shelf and install it very quickly and change positions etc and and it's not just about battery power devices for many products margins are extremely important so if you suddenly have to install an nvidia jetson gpu in there for example which can easily cost hundreds of dollars that's not great. If you can do it on a very cheap chip, that makes the product, yeah, that suddenly makes the product much more attractive for customers. So it's also, for example, for sound detection or for simple audio tasks. So you can say, turn the TV on, those kind of tasks. And again, you want to do that locally also for privacy issues and for for energy consumption issues. Got it. Okay. So that makes sense. And you used a couple examples. One was an HVAC system detecting if people are in the room as to whether or not we want to use power or keep the lights on. Again, these kind of clip-onable tasks that are relatively simple. We're sort of we're not doing the most robust processing in the universe. You know, we're not we're not taking a you know an image and doing some monumental processing task on it. It's kind of hey, is there a person here? Or hey, where's this person's eyes focused? And yeah. then just doing that processing right right then and there. And in, ter- yeah. in terms of getting that information from the device itself and then porting it somewhere where we can make sense of it, I'm imagining let's say I run a big grocery store. I would imagine that that information would sort of be streaming out of these various and sundry devices into somewhere central where I could get a, a general picture of all of this, even though it's not hooked up to the electrical system or what have you, even though it's not being processed in the cloud. I can kind of take the processing that's been done and just pipe in those results into some kind of a, some kind of a dashboard. This is what I would imagine, but you let me know. Yeah, so the metadata should be uh, sent out of the device. 
So okay. not the video feed, for example, yep, yep. or the whole audio feed, just the metadata. So it just says the shelf's empty, yes or no. Yeah. So there's much, yeah. it's a lot less data because sending out a lot of data consumes a lot of energy. Yep. And it will drain your battery in no time. Yeah. That's what you want to prevent. So you want to process it locally and just send out the result, just send out the shelf's empty, yes, no, to a more central entity. Got it. Okay. I'm going to see if maybe we can touch on even if it's one or two other small use cases before we talk about how this is technically done, which is obviously what you folks are working on. You know, I'm interested in maybe painting a little bit of a mental picture for the listeners as to one or two other examples. We've got the grocery store camera. We've got potentially a security camera. You know, is there a car in the parking lot? Is there somebody walking somewhere? Yeah. Whatever. That's, that's one. We've got this HVAC thing. Very simple kind of yes, no type processing going on. We're, we're not like, um, you know, scanning an image and then, you know, refactoring Elon Musk's face on this person's body. No. And then like, right, we're not, we're not doing fancy things. We're just making no. a simple decision. What are other real instances where those simple yes, no's with some computer vision or, or, or audio can be really, really valuable? What are other ones you're excited about? So one thing that I'm very excited about is, for example, hand gesture detection, hmm. hand gesture recognition. So where you have a simple camera, and it detects movements of your hands. So for example, it can detect if you swipe to the right or swipe to the left. So this basically enables any display to become as intuitive as a touchscreen. You can pinch to zoom with your fingers, swipe right, swipe left, you can make scroll movements, those kind of things. Right now, a task like this is still a bit too complex for microcontroller, we're working very hard on making our models very small and very efficient to to do this on very cheap, uh, very cheap chips. Yeah, because I was going to say, you know, is there a person in the screen or not? Seems pretty seems pretty viable to me. Is there a car entering the parking lot or not? Seems pretty viable to me. Even when you said gaze detection, I kind of thought to myself, oh, jeepers, that's that's a little bit more complex. That's that's maybe yeah. eight eight or ten. I don't know how many orders of magnitude more complicated than is there cereal in this slot or not? It seems like. To your point, some of these tasks get a little bit more complicated. Maybe that's a nice transition into how we're getting this done. Obviously, these chips were not built for this task, but there's so many of them. They're being, you know, created every day in a, in a million devices from, you know, washing machines to, you know, little cameras to microphones or whatever the case may be. And now we're, we're sort of bending artificial intelligence, if you will, to sort of pack into these little devices. What does that look like? What, what's, the, what's the technical process to make that happen? Yes. So this is very challenging because we want to make sure that those, those cheap microcontrollers can do the most challenging, most exciting possible tasks. And to do this, we use something called binarized neural networks. Okay. So I'll try to make it not too technical, but I need to give some explanation. Sure. Generally, if you have a deep learning model, you have tens of millions or hundreds of millions of parameters. Traditionally, people used 32 bits to encode each of those parameters. 32 bits. But to make things faster, to make things more efficient, people move from 32 bits to 16 bits. And now pretty much everyone is using 8 bits. 8 bits to encode each of those parameters, each weight in each activation. But when we looked at this and we thought, how can we make this even more efficient? How can we really get everything, push everything, push those microcontrollers to the to the extreme? We thought, well, why don't we use just one single bit to encode each weight in each activation? Just use one bit for each parameter instead of eight bits. So this makes your model much smaller because instead of using eight bits, you only need one bit. And it also makes your model much faster. All the operations become much faster, but that becomes a bit more, uh, a bit too technical. But 
using these binary neural networks is very difficult, it's very challenging. And we've been doing a lot of work to, to make this work. So to be able to use binaryized neural networks, you need to get several things in place. The first thing is that binaryized neural networks require new training algorithms. And we've been doing and are still doing a lot of research on how these models, how these binaryized neural networks can be trained. Because you still want to make sure that these models are accurate, so that they have a high accuracy, so that they don't miss, for example, a human while a human is actually walking in front of the camera. And they still need to be fast and small. So we've been doing a lot of research on that. The second part that you need is you need to develop the software to train these binary neural networks. So you need to form those, those algorithms, those, those training algorithms in software. And we've built these software tools. And part of this work is actually op also open source. This is called LARC with a Q, L-A-R-Q. And the third component that you need is something that we call a compute engine. This is the, the piece of software that takes the trained BNM model and executes it very efficiently on a microcontroller. So this is basically like if you just have an app on your smartphone, for example, the Snapchat app, you cannot use it if you don't have Android or iOS. You need an operating system. And this compute engine is basically the operating system for deep learning on a microcontroller. And to build this very efficiently, it's quite difficult. It's actually very challenging. So our team has done great work and has worked very hard to make this very efficient and, and very fast. So those are the three components that you need to build, and it's what we've built and what, which we're still improving. And actually, we're also covering another layer of the stack, which is a certain chip design for reconfigurable chips called FPGAs, but that becomes too technical and I'll, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I should cover it here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah for, for, for our particular audience. But the conceptual understanding is important for our, our folks, regardless, you know, the, the use cases, the relative cost, the relative applications for, for business value, that's, that's uh, certainly relevant. And one last thing that kind of floats to mind, Roland, as you talk about this, and maybe we can end on this point, is sort of what's going to happen in this, I guess, ecosystem of hardware and software at the edge. You know, there's, there's so much more that's going to be happening. There are some people, as you're well aware, who are trying to figure out what might be new kinds of hardware we're going to want to have in whether it be self-driving cars or whether it be drones or whether it be any kind of, you know, handheld device, uh, you know, cell phones that will be, you know, better able to handle the kinds of, you know, maybe machine learning oriented tasks that we want to handle on the edge that we don't want to have to pipe to the cloud. There's other ecosystems that are really about kind of adapting to the existing landscape of hardware and saying, okay, well, how can we effectively take the cutting edge of what ML is able to do and sort of bring it into that into that world. Do you see over the course of the next decade just a bloom of expansion on both of those sides of the camp? What's your thought about the future here? You mean both on the hardware side as on the software side? Yeah, I guess I guess people who yeah. are, let me I'll frame it a different way. People who are trying to reinvent the wheel, hey, look, if we're going to be at the edge, it's got to be these kinds of chips, this kind of processing, you know, trying to overhaul everything versus folks like your, yourselves, at least at the present time, where it's, hey, there's a huge ecosystem of this existing hardware. Let's make cutting edge ML work there. Do you see as much explosions happening on both sides of that fence? Or maybe do you think about it differently? Yeah, I think both sides are pushing very hard. And there are lots of different approaches, both on the hardware side as on the software side. And, and I think it is also necessary because, yeah, we really need much. So, for example, to do more exciting things on really cheap, low-power, battery-powered uh, devices, you need much cheaper chips uh, that run much more efficient software. I think it's very important that both sides keep on pushing very hard and trying innovative things. 
Yeah. Um, well, and, and it'll be interesting to see how you folks um, develop here, Roland, as, you know, obviously new new algorithms and norms for, for AI. Lord knows five years from now, what will be the most popular computer vision approaches, right? I, I imagine you guys will be adopting and adapting to all the new technical ways of getting this stuff done as things move forward. And, and we can't even predict all that stuff. But it sounds like for you, there have to be people innovating on just the hardware itself, what the ideal is, and also people adapting the current hardware to get more stuff done, that, that both yeah. of those are viable approaches. Yeah, I agree. And you need to keep changing both sides. If right now the software, the the, the companies and the, the research teams that are designing better or more efficient software are purely looking at the existing chips, you will not end up with the most efficient solution. And the same thing with the hardware side. If people are making chips for the existing deep learning algorithms, again, you end up at the local maxima. So, for example, if you look at transformers, transformers are very efficient for, for GPUs. So, for example, GPT-3, which is very popular, that's been designed to be very efficient for GPUs. And the 8-bit deep learning models that are very popular, those have also been designed for GPUs. But those models that are currently out there are not per se the most efficient and the best models that are out there that would be possible. So, if you design new deep learning algorithms, new AI models, for new chips, you can end up with a very efficient and very powerful solution. So both sides, hardware and software, need to keep innovating. Well, the future is going to be an exciting one. And I think there's a lot of viability for being able to have some nimble battery-powered solutions in the early days to be able to feel out these use cases and, and deliver some value. So I'm certainly rooting for you guys and seeing how things go. Um, and I know that's all that we have for time. Roland, thank you so much for being able to join us here on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you're interested in knowing more about the use cases that we cover here at Emerge, and if you'd like to be able to have a visual explorer of AI use cases across retail, which we talked about today, across financial services, including insurance and banking, across defense and heavy industry, then be sure to check out Emerge Plus. Emerge Plus is our premium subscription for folks that really want to put AI in action. Whether you're a small consultant that needs to guide your clients with the best smarts out there and really understanding what their next step should be, or whether you're an enterprise leader who really wants access to not only AI use cases that you could use in your own business, but also best practices about measuring ROI, about adopting and deploying AI, about building AI teams successfully. If you want to save yourself the hassle of reinventing the wheel and learn from some of the best of guests that we've had here, including heads of AI at public companies, then be sure to check out Emerge Plus. You can learn more about the subscription at emerj.com slash P1. That's P is in plus one. So emerj.com slash p1 and you can learn more about Emerge Plus. That's all for this episode. I'll catch you for Thursday's Making the Business Case episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. Mm-hmm.